Hi, this is Dayton Ward, and you're listening to the Sci-Fi Sisters Podcast. Star Trek fan fiction for fun and to share with my friends. And I wrote other stories that weren't Star Trek, but they like our circle of people were characters in our stories that we write. So I was doing it for the goof. Um, and then back in 1997, Pocket Books, who at the time was the licensing partner for Star Trek novels, started a contest called Strange New Worlds um, for unpublished writers. And I submitted a story basically on a dare from a friend of mine. She basically called my man into question. Oh. And so okay. I submitted a story, and lo and behold, it was one of the first ones they picked. They picked 18 stories for that first anthology, and I managed to repeat that the second and third year. And that was when they offered me a novel contract to write 
a full-blown Star Trek novel. And of course, I've never written any longer than a short story professionally. And of course, I said yes, because if you're an up-and-coming writer, you always say yes when you're offered a job. And I've been writing Star Trek novels ever since. Wow, that is fantastic. That's so cool. Because I know that a lot of different people come, you know, to the uh, Trek novel world from different groups, but that strange new world competition is just so integral. Half of the Trek we have today came from that contest, right? I and mean, there's a lot of it, right? A number of writers got their start through that contest. And some of them have continued writing Star Trek, and others have spun out an entire career separate from Star Trek, and they're very successful. Um, it was a it was a door that for licensed fiction just doesn't open very often, and uh, I'm fully aware of that. That my journey is different than the typical writer, and I have just been very fortunate to to be given that opportunity. I try not to forget that. Yeah. I try to keep it in mind when I'm taking the next project. Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, your humility uh, and grace that comes through, which is why fans love you so much. I mean, we love your writing. I mean, I know that you are one of the vet's favorite authors, correct, Madam? Yes. <laughs> I'm geeking here. No pressure. Like, I'm like, he knows already. <laughs> so, yes, I'm trying to contain myself. The humility is easy because my mother, who never understood Star Trek or my love for it, but still indulged me when I was a child, she was like, I swear this is a verbatim quote. Um, I can't believe they paid you to write that crap. <laughs> but, 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 her, right, right there, she was unofficially the president of the Tampa based chapter of my fan club. So, so she would cajole, and I have a, I don't, I don't want to take too much time, but she had a lot of friends who would come to visit her, and she was a big reader. This is your time. So, cozy mystery type reader, hard uh-huh. romance sort of thing, but she had a copy of everything I'd ever written on the bottom shelf in her living room. Wow. And so she'd get friends that would come over to hang out, and they'd keep looking at the shelf, looking at her, looking at the shelf. <laughs> and they're like, do you read those things, those Star Trek books? And she's like, no, I've never read a single one, but my son writes those. And then she would tell me about half the time the person's eyes would widen and say, your son is dating Ward? Oh, wow. <laughs> Can I get copies of your books? So I'm, I'm mailing copies of my new book down until she figured out that I don't get royalties on the books I sent her. She's like, go to the store and buy them so my son gets paid. Oh, so, she was, like I said, she, she wasn't a huge fan, but she liked me. Well, yeah, that's very well, that matters. That's <laughs> like my mom has, like, I think she's my, like, might have listened to, like, one of our shows. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe two. But she loves us so much, and she anything that she can do to support me, that's, you know, moms being moms, that's what's up. That's what moms do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Keeps you humble, but yet brags on you. Right, exactly. She goes, I don't understand, you're like the sci-fi thing. I don't understand to me a sci-fi thing. That's what she oh, says. Oh, you made the New Times bestseller list. Yeah, the dishes need to do it. Right. <laughs> that's so funny. My mom is an actual fan of the show, fan of the show. So she critiques us. And, yeah, I'd rather my mom not know what's going on, but she's a huge star. She's like, so when you talked about Spock doing this, that's not really what happened. And I'm like, oh, okay. can you write it down and just send it to me? And so, moms are great. So, but you started off writing Trek fiction in a time when none of it was canon, considered canon. And um, and you guys had sort of, I mean, did you have like free reign to write? Did you just pitch an idea and say, this is what we want to write, this is how we want to take this character? Was there a lot of oversight? I mean, because I'm looking at now, there are novels coming out, like the one that you're doing now, the one that just came out, you know, um, 
that is a tie-in. It's a direct tie-in, and that is canon. And and I'm wondering about the differences between a different. The tie-in novels are canon, correct? The tie-in. Anybody? You did see the that the books are canon. Ooh. The, print, the new tie-in novels, aren't they considered canon? Yeah, that's what we've been told. The, the studio will tell you that the books have not are not canon in the sense that the shows are going to look at them and go, oh, we should make sure our episodes stay in step with the books. Okay. Um, the, the phrase they like to use is canon until you're not. Okay. And I'm like, okay, so and in my world, Star Trek canon is a lot like being pregnant or circumcised. You either are or you're not. <laughs> <laughs> There's your adult content warning for the podcast. Um, so, but with the new versions of the show, with the new versions of the shows in active production and the books that are coming out that support those shows, we work very closely with uh, Kirsten Beyer, mm-hmm. uh, who is the liaison between Secret Hideout and Simon Schuster for the books and IDW for the comics and other other licensing partners. So we, we know where the stakes in the ground are, where we can go with the characters and where we need to avoid. Um, so it's basically, it's like it was when I first started, mm-hmm. when Enterprise was still the show that was in production and they were still making a movie here and there. And then for the bulk of my career, all that was off the air and we were between, you know, all we had were the three reboot movies. Mm-hmm. And we were given a tremendous amount of latitude during that period, between 2005 and 20. 1920 card premiered. Um, so we were allowed to do all kinds of crazy things with the characters. Marry them off, promote them, move them off the ship, kill them, bring them back, you know, whatever. Um, and then Picard came along mm-hmm. and sort of reset your expectations as far as what we can do with the books. Okay. Um, you know, now that the shows are actively being produced again, we have to there's a, there's another layer of overhead. Uh-huh. And so and approvals. And you know, but now but as shows wrap, like Picard is done. And Discovery's going to give us its last season, you know, next year. Right. We expect that the reins will loosen a little bit again with respect to being able to do things with those characters that we ordinarily would not get to do. Mm-hmm. We're, we're like, <laughs> uh, it's a wait and see kind of thing right now, right? Because we don't know what will happen. Like Picard's coming over or supposedly over, but now they're making noises about maybe there could be a spinoff, and I honestly don't know. Um, but you never know. Right. Nothing. You never say never in this business. That's right. You know, uh, I never thought they would bring back the car to TV. Whoever thought that they would bring him back 25 years after the last movie? Right, right. right. Never going to happen. Let alone everybody else. Right. So, uh, yeah, that reality was shattered. Yeah. <laughs> you know it's true. Like even if you see a ship crash, they're not necessarily dead. Right. Well, <laughs> even if you see a body, they're not. Dead. <laughs> right. Even if you see a body. When we right. saw Picard. He was dead. He did. Right. He's not. I'm like, dead. well, there we go. Yeah. Rain melted away. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit um, about this new Trek and the direction that you see Trek going, and especially in light of the cancellation of Discovery and the cancellation of Prodigy. I mean, are you worried at all? I'm not. I mean, as a fan, I'm like, I like that show. Yeah. Um, I really did like. Prodigy. It was one of my favorite. Me too. When I first started, I should back up. In addition to being a writer, I'm also a consultant to Paramount Global, which lets me read manuscripts and outlines and pitches for novels, comics, games, and other interactive experiences. Anything with a narrative. If it's got a story involved, I'm usually in the loop somewhere making notes about 
canon and continuity and lore and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I also read all the scripts from all the shows. Mm -hmm. And I provide notes about the canon and the continuity and the lore, uh, which they may or may not take. I get paid the same whether they take the notes. But <laughs> I try to advise them, like, well, you know, you can't use this character because they're going to show up in this show, you know, next year or something. Um, so I get to see everything as much as a year and a half in advance for everybody else. I mean, I'm spoiled on everything for the next two years. Okay. Yeah. So with Prodigy, it was the one thing that I liked from the jump. Like, I really thought the premise was awesome. Like, yeah. This is a great yeah. on-ramp yeah. for new fans. Like, mm -hmm. you're going to learn what it means to be Starfleet. You're going to learn what the Star Trek ethos are the, at the same time the characters are learning it, which is the best way to take that journey. Mm -hmm. And so I was imagining, you know, you can, the whole first season is a role-playing game campaign. So Star Trek Adventures, the role-playing game, could create a module or something that mm -hmm. would be Prodigy-based. I had all these grand ideas. <laughs> um, I did not see the cancellation coming. That was a complete shock to all of us. Yeah, um, yeah, I did not. Ex I knew that Discovery was term limited. I don't didn't know exactly how many seasons they were going to run, but we knew it was going to end after no more than six or seven. Right. The decision for them to do after five was a bit of a surprise. Yeah. Um, we always knew Picard was going to be three seasons because that's what he committed to. He right. said, "I'll do three years of this, and then I'm done with future clowns." Everything else is open-ended. Unless there's a movie. Unless there's a movie. Mm -hmm. right. Everything else was open-ended. Like, Lower Decks has no signs of stuff. <coughs> they, are, they are hit deep and working on season five right now. Okay. I just read well, the fourth season. So was Prodigy. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here's, the thing. here's the thing. Lower Decks, they've never missed a deadline, and they've never exceeded their budget. Not one time. Wow. They, they have hit their mark. If you, if you notice, every season premieres exactly almost to the day. Mm -hmm. Every yes. year. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's not an accident. Mm -hmm. Those guys know what they're doing. Yeah. And they know Star Trek. Here's my, my thing is, you can't make jokes about Star Trek unless you know Star That's Trek. Right. Right. That's right. So they know where the spots are. They know where the soft spots are, and they know where the humor is. And they know they know where the laughing with, not laughing at mm -hmm. humor is. Yeah. So they are pound for pound some of the strongest Star Trek writers I've ever met. Yeah. Definitely. Mm -hmm. That's um, what I've been saying. I've been trying to tell you people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. Stop. Wait. <laughs> on this. I call bullshit. <laughs> I call straight bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cured by aversion animation. Yeah. Oh, okay, so that, that should, you should have led with that. I yeah. <laughs> listening that we're trying to tell you people it's Prodigy is like, I love that show. It came out to be one of my favorites. I didn't particularly care to watch animated shows, so I didn't help. You know, so it was a long haul to get me to watch both of them, but I, I love Prodigy, and after I watched it, I agree with you. It's definitely the, the show that's going to bring the younger generation in, which I really don't see the other shows so much doing. You know, right. they kind of play into the older crowd that's already watching Star Trek. Yeah. Prodigy was going for a whole new thing. Prodigy swung to the fences, uh, in my opinion. And I, my belief in that was strengthened when I got to meet some of the creative folks uh, at the Chicago convention last year. I got to meet Aaron Walkie and... So the other folks, and I got to meet the Lower Decks crew. Like okay. I got to meet Brad Winters and Mike McMahon. Right. These people are Star Trek awesome, fans. They're awesome, right? They are not them, both crews. Both crews, because they yeah. came down. If you weren't, if, was anybody here at Chicago? But they were down in the vendors room. They came. I mean, they just came and walked around and met fans and spent yeah. hours oh, yeah. talking to us. Oh, hours, yeah. not just like, hey, we're here. So, yeah. at, for those of you who didn't get to go to the show. 
the lower decks crew, uh, Jack Quaid, uh, Jerry O'Connell, uh, Tawny Newsom, and I'm blanking on her last name, uh, Tendi, who plays Tendi. They all dressed up in character for their panel. They all wore lower decks costumes. She put on the green paint. He got the purple hair, the whole smash. And then Jerry O'Connell did not ask for or take the offered autograph table for posed autographs and photo ops. He wandered the convention floor all day in costume, yeah. posing with fans, taking photos, signing autographs, just having a ball. And then uh, then they had a huge party on Saturday night. I guess Tawny Newsom has a friend who owns a bar in Chicago. I think everybody has a friend who owns a bar in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> so there was this little dive bar in the middle of nowhere in Chicago, and this was this huge party, and that's where I actually got to talk to the writing staff and Mike McMahon, and you can, these people are not posers, they are Star Trek fans, they are. and they can, they can quote episode lines and numbers and production numbers and all this, like okay, even I have a limit, okay, <laughs> but they do, I mean it's, it's fun to read their script, as I tell, as I tell uh, my boss, I'm like reading a lower, when I see a lower deck script come through in the email, I'm like I'm going to have a good day today, Yeah. You know, yeah. And I get, maybe it'll wash the taste out of that other thing I read. Oh. <laughs> and I'm not going to name any names. It could be anything. Honestly. I mean, I'm making a joke there, but I'm just saying, yes, 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 genuinely yes, speaking, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. I love anything with lower decks on it, like it's going to be a good day. And the, their writing staff reaches out to the franchise team for help. Like, hey, we need a question about, like, I swear to God, I had a question about Cardassian feet the other day. <laughs> what do Cardassian feet look like? I'm like, I'm going to say they look like McMahon's. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's that kind of conversation. They, they ask us for help, and it's, so it's a lot of fun, a lot of back and forth. That's a good question, actually. What right. Well, you're going to find out next year. See, you probably look like you learned it first year. Yeah, spoiler alert, Cardassian feet coming in. Probably look like their hand. If you think about it. Oh, it probably looks like a hand. Don't <laughs> think about it. You know, okay. Our hands and feet look alike, though. I just figured their toenails are really gnarly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that canard. That's a good yeah. uh, yeah. Oh, God. Canard. <laughs> Yvette. Yes. I'm putting you on the spot. Okay. Okay. What? I want you to ask or talk about your favorite dating board novel because I know you have it. Hmm? Can you narrow it down to a favorite? Mm. So I think my favorites are the travel guides. Oh, the okay. travel guides are just the travel guides are probably my favorite. Travel to Kronos and travel to to Vulcan. Can you talk about those? Yeah, that was not something I expected to be involved in. Um, the company who published them, Insight Editions, uh, they came to it was then CBS, but it's Paramount wanted to do this travel guide and they had an idea but they didn't really have any details like we just want to do a travel guide based on the Star Trek planet what do you recommend and they narrowed down a list of like five planets and uh, my boss said you know Vulcan and the Klingon Empire and maybe Romulus are the strongest candidates I think Cardassian was in the mix but I don't remember what the fifth one was and then they said well okay well who do we, who do we get to write this <laughs> and the people at Paramount said Dayton's probably good for this he, He's an idiot. <laughs> um, 
so I took a meeting with them. And I said, okay, can we make it look like they wanted to make it like an actual travel guide that you would buy if you were going on vacation? Like you go to Barnes and Noble and you get a farmer's guide or a local planning guide. Does anybody know what that is? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. So you basically got all the you know where to go, where to eat, where to stay, where the photos are. You know, so I, I wanted to tell it just like that. So you don't read it cover to cover. You read it based on where you're visiting. Right. Mm -hmm. So. A lot of people said, I tried to read this thing and it doesn't make any sense. Like, it's not a novel. <laughs> 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 like, I don't read the section. were they? Because there's a certain generation out here that has never used a track. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, everything's online now. Everything's yeah. online. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So by, I wanted to mimic that format. Uh -huh. So, I, so all, every section has a breakdown of where to stay, where to eat, where to go, what's not to do. But that. And then, so the humor is, in my brain's writing it straight. It's mm -hmm. it's it's not Vulcan's writing the guide. It's mm -hmm. some overworked office somewhere on some planet. Right? That's like, okay, where are all the cool things on Vulcan? It's Vulcan. There are no cool right. things. <laughs> <laughs> I said, think about it. I said, Vulcan in the 24th century is. I, I imagine the capital city is you know very cosmopolitan. It's like New York or Paris or Tokyo. It's it's, a, it's, a, it's an amalgam of cultures. Mm -hmm. I said, so that's what that city would be. But the outlying areas would be more traditional. Mm -hmm. And so we start spinning out all these things. And uh, it just became, and so I went through the episodes to figure out where the landmarks that had been mentioned. And after I got those five, <laughs> you know, like, okay, now I gotta make up the other 80,000 words. Right. <laughs> and, so I, and so I just started digging. I started pulling stuff out of old novels and role-playing games and comics and other references that fans would get. But yet if you were just buying it because you were a Star Trek fan, it would be hopefully entertaining, but if you were hardcore, you'd get the Easter egg. So that's the balance. And they liked it enough that they asked me to do the Klingon guy. Um, it was just, yeah, it was not, it was just one of those unexpected opportunities that presented itself. They're very good. You should, you should go ahead and get those. That says, really good. <laughs> in case you didn't catch that on the map. <laughs> <laughs> tips, like what to do if somebody gives you their contra. Or what happens if you get pulled into a marriage ceremony that results in battle to the death? <laughs> how to go to back? Where do I, where's the bathroom involved? You need to have this information. That's important. You don't know how to say that. Yeah. How do you because say you go to vault? I don't know how to say it. <laughs> he actually gives you the yeah. how to how to say it. I, mean, I don't know how to say it, but it's right. You know, this is good. This is not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the this is the Vulcan finger. Yeah, this is like, oh, die right. young in poverty or something. Die young in poverty. Yeah, thank you. And now y'all have started some people are giving us the finger. Was it now live log and proper? Yeah. yeah. Live logs yeah. and proper. I don't know if I feel safe now. <laughs> no longer a safe space. Thank you very much. I swear that's the best addition to Star Trek. Oh my God. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> Okay. And who knew that that was gonna like that was gonna be the one that landed, right? Yeah. To, to stick, you know. But everybody, I mean, that crossed all sorts of people who don't even like the. I don't like the cartoons. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Star Trek Lower Decks is funny. I don't get the humor. But you know, Vulcan, sarcastic Vulcan salute. <laughs> you know this. There was a period where we would be on Zoom calls, there'd be like a dozen of us, and we would all be like. I would pay to see that. <laughs> I need a, I need a, I need a gift of that going yeah, around yeah, yeah. the writers' room. <laughs> I love it. 
And so, I mean, one of the reasons that people love your novels so much is that, you know, you're a very character-driven writer. Um, are there certain themes that you like to explore more than others with your characters? I don't have, like, favorite themes or anything like that. I mean, I just go where the story... Uh, I, I figure out the theme based on what they want from the story, mm -hmm. and then uh, and then I figure out which characters are going to be the more, the more prominent characters. I try to give everybody a moment, you know, in the books, which is the advantage of the books versus the TV shows. It's uh -huh. like, all right, you know, can you tell me, you know, anything about the Discovery Bridge crew? Thank you. And that was one of my number was, one critiques of that show. I love I love Discovery, but I'm often I am cited on this podcast saying I don't know these people. But to be fair, that's the, the, the show is oriented around a couple of core characters. Right. Everybody else is, is, is supporting players, so, exactly. and which is really a lot like TV used to be written. Yes. So, and the, 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 the type of stories that Discovery was telling, there's just no room to no, bring in. they can't do and it. Like, they would need a lot longer season. That was one of our problems early on with when we they said, well, we want you to write a Discovery novel. And somebody even said on the call, set between seasons one and two. And I'm like, what? You mean like in the elevator when they go downstairs to meet the captain of the Enterprise? Because that's where you left off season one. You know, and then season two picks right up. And then for Michael Burnham, season three follows right after season two. And then Discovery shows up and they're they're doing that season's big bad thing for the, for the season. There's no time to like acclimate. There's no time to get a hold of your circumstances or no time to take a breath, go to the bathroom, get a sandwich, something. So when they asked me to do the newest one, there's a gap between seasons three and four of several months. I'm like, perfect, finally. Yeah. I've got a window of time where I can put the crew through the paces of a, what I call a traditional Star Trek story, mm -hmm. where they you know, they encounter a problem and they try to fix it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's to me, was the biggest draw for doing this story. It was like, I get to answer some questions that were left unanswered by between seasons three and four. Everybody's seen seasons three and four of Discovery, right? Yeah. A number of interpersonal conflicts are left open yes. at the end of season three. Like, Stamets yes. is super pissed at Burn. Right. Mm -hmm. And other people are not happy with each other. But by the time season four starts, we're all happy again. Right. Like, no, wait a minute. There's a story there, you know? <laughs> But that, for a tie-in writer, that's gold. Right. Because all these little dangling plot threads that they've left hanging, mm -hmm. that's an opportunity for us. And I said, I just want to tell a story where the crew gets to go solve a problem, and I get to have some fun with the character interplay, and maybe answer some of those unresolved questions that I know fans have asked. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I'm the right answer or the only answer, but here's an answer. Right. And then we go from there, and I get to tell a traditional Star Trek story that doesn't require you to read seven more months to get right. the full story. Right. So that was my goal going in, was just to, do, to treat Burnham and her crew like any of the other Star Trek crews for one book. This is exactly why this book is so cool. Because that particular issue that you talked about, like I, we talked about that on the show before, like there's some hanging chads yeah. happening here. And, uh, you know, that's that stink eye that Stamets gave Burnham at the end of that season, and then opening up with season four, and everybody's all like kumbaya. Made a joke was, about it. Right. Made a joke. I was not having it. I, it. It was not believable to me. And there are also other issues like, you know, Captain, you know Michael Burnham's journey to mm -hmm. the center seat. I mean, it was obviously troubled. Right. And, and her story, I mean, Discovery, if it's anything, it's Michael Burnham's redemption arc. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically at the core of the entire series. Mm -hmm. And. But even as she finally gets the chair at the end of season three, it's like, well, she's, you know, her first mission, right? 
when we see her in season four, she seems pretty comfortable with it. That's right. It's yeah. like, okay, there's moments there where she's going to have some self-doubt. Anybody would have self-doubt mm -hmm. if you're not a narcissist. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to think, am I up to the job? Yeah. Am I finally here after all of that drama that went on? Am I, am I up to the job? That's, that's a valid question that we would all ask of ourselves. So I wanted to explore that a little bit. I wanted to, I love the relationship between Stamets and Hugh Culver. Mm -hmm. um, Discovery, more than a lot of the shows, their the interpersonal dynamics are much different. They're more modern in their sensibilities. And we have all these other things that we just didn't deal with in the old shows. That's just not the way TV was written. And I just wanted to take advantage of this, these rich characters that have been largely undefined, yeah. but yet the pieces that we do know are very enticing. Mm -hmm. Like, all right, I want to dig in. I get to dig in a little bit. And so they just let me run. But I, I noticed that uh, Terry Metallus, before season three of The Card, he put out dossiers on all the British crews. And you knew their backgrounds because I know he saw that void that Discovery had. With no, we, we heard something about the British crew, but he put out everything. We were lucky to get to science officers, this is person, you know, he called them them, they, you know. I said, okay. He's getting, you know, because Discovery didn't do that. He's getting his season three running, kicking and running, you know, hit the ground running. And you know the background. He put one out for each bridge crew number. And that was really smart because you, I seemed like I knew these people. The bridge crew at least, you know. Fans love that stuff too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. like, and I'm a fan, so I love that stuff. I like it when they put some thought into the backstory. Even if we don't really get to dig into that stuff, you at least have a little bit of information about that character. And depending on their fate. You know, it's like, yeah, I know more about character X who died in episode four than I know about some people that have been on the show for five years. Exactly. And that's just exactly. that's the nature of the different types of storytelling. I mean, you know, the, 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 each show had its different its own mandate about how they were gonna approach storytelling and, and there's no wrong way to do it. Right. That's it. One of the things that I've appreciated about all the current iteration of Star Trek is that each show has its own thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're largely independent of each other in terms of approach to storytelling, which is fine because if it was five, if it was five flavors of chocolate, that's why I don't really take when they say we're Star Trek's, you know, we're getting too much of it, we're oversaturated. I'm like, not really, because they're only rolling out one at a time. Every show is different. You see me, you see me apoplectic over here, I mean, you know, because I hate hearing that, like, we're yeah. oversaturated. Really? Do you all, did you not live in an era where we had zero Trek? I'm, you know? Do you remember I'm, that? I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm just saying, yeah, <laughs> and I, and a couple of some, I'm going to say more seasoned fans, because that makes me a whole not right <laughs> I remember growing up in this. I was I was a kid growing up in the seventies. I watched Star Trek as a rerun on TV after school. It was, the, it was my mother's lone exception to the homework before TV rule. Oh, wow. I had to watch that. Oh, wow. wow! So it's really her fault. <laughs> All of this. Man, the more you tell us about your mom, can we get her pretty awesome, Yeah, we can get her on the show. <laughs> She'd be more interesting to talk to. That. But so I did that, and you know, it was it was the reruns on after school. It was the cartoon on Saturdays. It was the odd comic and the odd book and the odd action figure and you know all that stuff. That was Star Trek, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And then, so when that first movie came along, it's like somebody turned his hose on in the middle right? of the desert. You know? <laughs> I'm like it's slow and it's boring. I'm like it's Star Trek. Shut up. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, We're looking at the ship for ten minutes. Okay. <laughs> I don't care. It's beautiful. I, I mean, granted, I was twelve and I looked at it differently than I look at it now. I love that movie more now as an adult. I had to figure it out. Uh -huh. you know, when I was 12, it was like, 
Did that happen when, I'm sorry, did that happen with the A Time, A Time 2 books, the series? Did you guys get permission? Did they commission you? Because those were kind of supposed to be tie-in yeah. type. Was it the same thing? All the, 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 the Time 2 books, for those, everybody, who has not heard of the books, the Time 2 series? It was a nine-book series that came out in 2004. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was yes. meant to bridge the gap between Insurrection and Nemesis. Kevin and I were, I had just written one novel, the, my first one, and I had done a couple of the SCP novellas. Um, we had not, we were not in what I call the starting lineup yet. So what happened was they had commissioned these books and they had assigned a pair of books to different writers, but one of the writing, writers had to back out. So they approached Kevin and myself about doing the two books that they were going to write. So that was our call up from the miners, so to speak. Nice. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, we were commissioned to do those books. It was really funny because by the time we were involved, everybody else had like glommed on to these characters or these story points, and so we were left with whatever was you know left on the plate. You know. So the story is John Ordover, who was the editor, he says, "You guys are going to be writing books three and four of this nine book series. Uh, books one and two are set in space." And books five and six are set on a planet. So don't put your stories anywhere in those two layers. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, everybody's like, yeah, exactly. That was my look too. Yeah. So, so, so I said, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna blow up a planet and make an asteroid field, and that'll be our. Um, so that was our, that was our call up to the majors. And after that, we started getting uh, commissioned on a regular basis to write Star Trek. Those are really, that's a really good series. That's how I started uh, with the novels, with the, I'm sorry, that's how I started with the, the post-nemesis novels, because um, I used to read the pocketbooks when I was in the military, uh, but that's what started me. But it's a nine-book series. Um, I mean, it's a, right There's now. stuff that goes on. Yeah, there, I don't want to give anything away, but it's, it's a bridge, so you, it's the little things, like like we we did a show called the Hanging Chads, and you know you, you, the books are perfect for that. Any type of Hanging Chad that's in a, a series, the books there's a book for that. <laughs> you know? But yeah, I, I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of Dayton and a lot of other writers. But the books, like I, some every there are people in here like me that you know we grew up in a time when Enterprise went off and there was nothing else. So I went to the books. Um, and the books helped me keep Star Trek alive. So Star Trek is on, I get it, but the books are really good. I mean, especially if you want something a little different and you want your characters, the, the characters that you don't really, that they don't really talk about, that have a little background. Yeah, check out the books, they're, they're really good. And I like Dayton, he's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I kill my kids, please. It doesn't work. I know. <laughs> I know, it's just like them all the time. And that's what we're here for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we're almost out of time. We got like one last question for you before we have to sign off here. And I just want to know, if, is there something, any topic, Trek or otherwise, that you're just dying to write and get published out there, but that you haven't yet. Is there any type of topic? Oh, 
time. We don't have enough time for that. <laughs> as far as Star Trek is concerned, now that we know that Wesley the Traveler has interacted and works with the people who gave us Gary Seven, yeah. and the whole Jesus thing, I have thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I, 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 in fact, the first time that episode aired, I'm like writing my editor going, um, we need to <laughs> That's one of my favorite parts of the original series is that whole Gary Seven yeah. stuff. Yeah. I, I wrote a couple of books that tap into that, and I'm like, but now that they've sort of given us a new wrinkle with the travel, and we did some stuff with Traveler Wesley, like the Time Lord kind of mm -hmm. Wesley. I'm like, I have major thoughts on what to do with this. Please let me play. Oh, <laughs> I really hope Hopefully, something will come about in a few years. We'll see. I really okay. hope they do because I would read that yeah. in a heartbeat. Yeah. I think, um, judging by the reaction from the audience, that you guys would read it too, right? <laughs> and want to rest, yes. Well, Dayton, I want to thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate you. We love your work. We love you as a human being. You're just one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. And thank you for being on the show. Everybody say thank you, Dayton. Thank you. Thank you guys, too, for coming out and joining us in this recording, and we love you all, and if you're not listening to our show, we hope you do listen really soon, and if you are listening, thank you so much for listening. You know we love you. That's it. Peace, love, and hair grease, peoples. <laughs>